Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street partner with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across Australia and the globe to train leaders, develop engagement strategies and empower people to organise for change. And in 2020, Dunn Street continues to work with folks that want to make a difference, inspire, give hope and enable leadership to achieve their shared purpose. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street on one of your campaigns, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your centre-left weekly political and cultural podcast that dives into the progressive issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And we're back home again uh, this week for this week's episode. And we're talking to uh, Narita Waite, who is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And Narita is involved in a pretty important campaign that you may or may not have heard of uh, but certainly got a lot of exposure around uh, sort of June, July this year. Around 600 children aged 10 to 13 are sent to prison each year in Australia, which I did not know. Uh, and thousands of them struggle through this criminal legal system. 65% of them are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders. And Narita is campaigning to raise the age, uh, which is seeking to raise the age of criminal responsibility to 14 and provide children with more services and programs uh, that are responsive to their needs. So Narita is going to come on today's episode to talk about that campaign um, and the challenges that uh, young Aboriginal children face in the criminal justice uh, system, which uh, is uh, is shocking when you actually hear some of the stories. Uh, don't forget to, so hopefully you enjoy uh, today's uh, important podcast. There's links as well to how you can support the Raise the Age campaign in today's uh, episode bio. Uh, so please link on, click on that and, uh, and do what you can to support this really, really uh, important uh, issue that's confronting young people in our own country, in our own backyards. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite uh, podcast app and if you're on apple podcasts uh please leave us a, a rating and a review and people have started doing that again super happy about that super impressed thank you very much for for doing that uh and if you haven't done one uh please do so today while you're listening to today's episode um and also don't forget uh that you can follow socially democratic on all of your favorite um social media uh platforms via dunn street on facebook Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, and Twitter, that dumpster fire that we all love and know, Twitter. Anyway, uh, today's episode is also produced by uh, Rebecca Connell, uh, done another great job today, uh, and uh, let's get to today's episode. We're taping this one on a Friday morning in lockdown Melbourne. Uh, and joining me on the line from actually, I didn't actually double check where she was from. I'm 99% certain she is from the great state of Victoria. Whether she's in lockdown Melbourne or not is another matter. Uh, Narita Waite, who is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Welcome to Socially Democratic. Thank you. And I can confirm that I am in lockdown Melbourne um, and have been for quite some time. Uh, how are you finding the second uh lockdown that we've all had to uh go through um i'm finding it difficult from an organizational perspective because um a lot of my staff provide 
essential community justice and legal supports to those in need. And that um, can't be done as easily as it would be, but we also can't service uh, regional Victoria where many of our communities reside. So um, just the mental health impacts of not being able to do what you're supposed to do um, really kind of brings my staff down as well as myself. So that's been difficult. Um, and then I just think the lack of separation between work and home um, is affecting everybody. Um, but it's great to see that regional Victoria has moved, uh, obviously, to less restrictive measures, and we're on that way. And um, hopefully we'll reach COVID normal um, sometime soon, and hopefully in time for Christmas. Fingers crossed. It's quite funny, isn't it, that um, we're looking forward to COVID normal as opposed to just normal. <laughs> Very much so. But, uh, I mean, this pandemic, I think, took everybody by surprise. And um, I can't imagine how difficult it is to respond to. So um, all all of my uh, support and love and all of that is going out to those medical professionals who are at the forefront supporting those in aged care um, or those who come down with COVID normal because they're the, they're the real heroes in the situation. Yeah, they really are. We're going to talk today about a really important um, issue that's confronting a lot of our young people across Australia. Um, but before we do, just want to get a sense, uh, get an idea about your own background and how you came to be working with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, you're a l- trained lawyer. What what drove you to, first of all, take up um, practising the law? Um, well, that's a story that starts when I was very young. Um, I uh, grew up um, in a very uh, female-driven family. Um, and my aunt, um, who really played the role um, of my grandmother, um, because she'd half raised my mum when my mum died, when my mum's mum died very young, uh, taught me um, about old movies. And one of those was To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. It's, it's beautiful um, in terms of the story. And uh, there, Attica Finch um, plays a lawyer and uh, helps somebody in need. And there is that really societal change. And that's when. I decided right there and then at six um, that I wanted to become a lawyer um, and that I wanted to work for my own people um, and I wanted to be able to be a part of the change because um, I grew up in a family where although um, we were lucky to have opportunities for education and the like, um, we had other relatives in the extended family as well as uh, community members who didn't have those opportunities and we would see them cycle in and out of prison and for me, that just wasn't fair. There had to be a better way. So that's what drew me into law. Um, and that's what drew me back to vows. Um, and that's what I try and do each and every day. Um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird is, uh, it was uh, the textbook that I think I did year 11 in. And my sister is a high school teacher and they're still teaching To Kill a Mockingbird. So it is standing the test of time. Um, and uh, I, I'm impressed that at the age of six that you decided that you want to become a lawyer. When I wanted at six, I think I wanted to be a fireman. That dream didn't seem to last that long. But, you know, props to you for st- sticking to your goals. That's impressive. Yes, um, it was. I, I think everybody um, was surprised that I stuck at it for so long. But it was just something that clicked for me very early on, which I'm lucky. Um, and um, a career that I've enjoyed. And now that I've transitioned into this role of being CEO of um, that's given me obviously a different perspective, but I still feel quite connected to the law. So one of the laws that we uh, that you're wanting to address is this um, issue about incarcerating young people. Uh, and I'll put my hand up and say, I wasn't even aware of this until maybe I don't know, three months ago. Uh, and it blew my mind. I was like, what are we, what, why are we doing this? So 
for those of you that are unaware of this Raise the Age campaign that you guys are running, what exactly is the problem? What are you trying to What are you trying to address here? Mm. So Australia has a minimum age of legal responsibility um, of ten. So that means any child um, from the age of ten can be arrested and locked up um, for any criminal offending. Um, now, in that's quite out of step um, with uh, international countries, um, even um, less progressive countries like the United States have high ages of legal responsibility. Um, and what we see with those kids is, you know, when you're 10 to 13, you're going through significant growth and development um, and treating them like criminals through early contact with the criminal justice system just leads to irreparable harm and long-term damage. Um, and, you know, when I reflect on one of the children that um, I worked with, um, a few years ago, because they'd had that interaction from a very early age, so they'd been removed um, and placed in a residential facility by the Department of Health and Human Services. They were quite traumatised by that removal, by the lack of contact. Um, they weren't undergoing any therapeutic support. So when they were traumatised and angry, um, one of their outlets um, was, you know, to punch a wall, which is not condoning that behaviour, but it came out of a position of trauma and rather than resolving that in the home like you would do for your own children um, what they do is they call the police and then they're charged with criminal damage and that really starts off their journey um, and then as they cycle in and out of youth prison um, the trauma becomes more ingrained the damage becomes irreparable um, and they start to think of their lives in terms of what prison um, they might be going to when they're older where their families are um, and that's one of the things that constantly broke my heart um, with children that we were presenting uh, was that that's how they planned out their life. Why on earth do we have a law such as this in the first place? What idiot thought that this was a great idea to put 10-year-olds um, into the prison system or the youth justice system? Uh, past governments um, in every state and territory in Australia because the age of uh, legal responsibility um, is a state matter, not a federal matter. Um, and they were geniuses, um, I suppose, in their own mind and thought this was a fantastic idea, um, but really didn't pay attention to what the ramifications were, but also understanding the, the mind and development of children in that age bracket. Now, you might think how many 10 to 13 year olds are really getting into that, get, getting into that situation. Well, in just one year across Australia, close to 600 children age 10 to 13 were locked up and thousands more were hauled through the criminal legal system. Aboriginal and Islander children, of course, are disproportionately impacted by these laws and are pushed into prison cells at even higher rates and they account for more than 65% of these younger children in prisons. Um, and a lot of the time people say, well, you know, if they're committing criminal offence, something needs to be done because what else could be done? Mm. Um, and for me, that, that's a really weak argument because um, we should all accept that every child deserves to be healthy and to reach their potential and that more must be done to ensure children receive help and support, including better access to mental health care, mentoring, education, employment opportunities, and really the best way to prevent future offending, to make communities safer and to give children the best possible chances of good life is to support and build the capacity of families, engage and support kids to stay in school, address family violence and housing stability, and identify and respond to health and disability needs. And that's done by investing in those matters and not by building more prisons. What are some of the reasons that we find that young kids are um, winding up in the 
uh, youth justice system, particularly amongst mm. the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities? Well, some of those reasons are really what I pointed to before in my story um, about uh, some of the children are represented, which is uh, removal, trauma, loss, um, lack of opportunity. Uh, those things, when not responded to appropriately, then ingrained trauma, which then basically halt their their development both um, mentally and um, emotionally, so that they really can't uh, kind of can't react in a way that others would consider appropriate. Um, and when we look at uh, rates of removal um, of children, it really does very neatly link with those in the youth justice. And a lot, a lot of the times those kids are called dual track because they're going through both child protection and youth justice. Um, and because a lot of the time um, those resources are separate, those um, departments are completely separate, there is often enough not a consistent approach to those kids. So they're getting, they're getting one approach from child protection and getting another approach from youth justice. And they really don't know where they're going, what the plan is. They don't even know they're safe. They don't know they're going to be able to see their family regularly. They don't even know if they're going to be able to go to school. Um, all of those things just create a perfect storm. Hmm. So I think you're starting to walk down the path of the answer to my next question. But why, my next question was, why is it disproportionately impacting in, a, in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community? I mean, 65%, <laughs> that is huge. It is. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the things that um, is quite frustrating within our communities because this is something we've been arguing for for generations. It's not just me. Um, it's not just... Um, people who are slightly older than me, um, you know, it goes back a lot further. And it's because we do have a different history. We do have a different interaction um, with this nation because of the way that it was founded. Um, we can't get away from that. And we can't get away from what all of those policies are meant um, for our generations and how that trauma, how that dispossession, how that loss has then filtered down. And also when you look at the Aboriginal community, what you do find is because there is such a fear of authority and I just can't emphasize that enough. Um, you, there are poorer accesses to healthcare, poorer accesses um, to services that they would ordinarily get because they are often enough victims of violence themselves. But because of fear, they don't action those complaints because they know that if they front up to a police station and say, look, this is what's happened to me, that it is likely that they'll be seen as a perpetrator rather than a victim. So all of those things make it so that there is a lot of disengagement and that's why you see um, a lot of socioeconomic um, opportunities not going their way, lack of education, employment, um, increases in family violence because um, of that lack of employment and then you, of course, um, have child protection come in and whose first response is often to remove children rather than to support families. Um, and once that's done, then you have a child who's taken from his family, um, often enough placed in, placed in residential care because there are no what they deem appropriate family carers. And then they're having disparate contact with siblings that often not split apart. Um, who knows when they might see mum and dad? Um, who knows if they'll be allowed to see aunt or uncle who might have played a very important role in their lives? Um, they're probably often enough moved schools. There's not a, not, not a resi care facility in their location. So that's a whole new change as well. 
um, teachers who don't understand how they learn, um, what their home situation is, and just things continually get worse. And all of all of those uh, all of those store all those uh, factors that we're talking about, they're not just random issues. They're issues that um, collate and get put together and affect children, real children, um, children um, like many of those of your listeners um, who will, unlike them, not be able to go to school most likely, won't achieve um, VCE or equivalent. Um, it's been many years since I've done my own, so forgive me if the terminology's wrong. Um, they won't be able, obviously, to get um, jobs that put them on a path to progress and success. Um, and then that cycle will just continue. And uh, what I found really touching um, was um, a documentary called In My Blood It Runs. Um, and it featured a young Aboriginal boy um, who uh, grew up at Sandy Ball Outstation in a Valley Town camp in Alice Springs. Um, and he actually courageously spoke before the world leaders of the UN. Um, and in his words, he said that the film tells the story of me when I was 10 years old it shows what it's like to be an Aboriginal kid and how we treat it every day in Australia. The film shows me getting in trouble with school. They were going to take me away with welfare. I was getting in trouble with the police and I nearly got sent to jail. Um, his story um, was very compelling. Um, I note that it was viewed a lot on Facebook and socials um, and he, the UN also listened to him. Um, they took the time, they listened to his story and they called for action um, and I only wish the Australian government who owe it to these children to do better by them. Um, and all the children who have suffered uh, would listen to these kids and listen to our calls to raise the age. Uh, that's re- remarkable that uh, that young man uh, appeared before the UN. Um, where is, how does, how does Australia stack up with these laws compared to other countries around the world, both, um, you know, other Western countries, but even in, the, in um looking at some of the stats there like i don't think we compare that well to say like russia um that's <laughs> got to be a red flag if uh, we're doing worse than russia shortly <laughs> yes um I, I think that there are several red flags um when we look at these situations so nearly all developed countries and advanced economies um choose not to incarcerate young children so for example in south korea the age of legal responsibility is 14 in finland it's 15 um, and I believe it's 15 in Estonia and the, Ze- and the uh, Czech Republic as well. And in Belgium, the age responsibility is 16. Um, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child um, observed that over 50 state parties have raised the minimum age following ratification of the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And the most common minimum age of uh, legal responsibility internationally is 14. So that tells you just how far off we are um, in terms of what other nation states are doing. Um, why not 18? Uh, what in terms of determining the age of legal responsibility, uh, what is looked at is actually the medical evidence of when children actually have um, the ability uh, to understand what it is that they're doing. Um, and in terms of that evidence uh, by people like the Australian Medical Association, um, uh, by the UN medical bodies, um, is that between the ages of 14 to 16, uh, many of those uh, brain developmental activities are solidified. So that's why you, send, you tend to see um, at the highest legal age responsibility being around 16. Ah, uh, okay, right 
I was wondering about that, actually. I argued with my partner last night why it shouldn't be. Um, she was arguing that it should be 16. Um, you guys are making an argument at the moment, though, with uh, with the government to raise it to 14? 14. Yeah, okay. 14, that's correct. Um, so, uh, sorry, you go. Yep. So, uh, as um, you might be aware, um, the, the campaign um, has been going on for quite some time um, and... We were eagerly awaiting uh, the CAG decisions of the Council of Attorney Generals, um, but they unfortunately didn't come to the table um, and we were just bitterly disappointed in the lack of leadership shown by the refusal of um, in July by the Council of Attorney Generals to take the necessary steps to make real systemic change and raise the age. And it just doesn't reflect what Australians want. Um, you know, when we look at the surveys and the responses, Australians have made it clear they want some of the most vulnerable people in our community, which is our children, to be cared for, to be given opportunities rather than, rather than robbed of them. Um, and with the representation of Aboriginal Australian Islander kids in the criminal legal system and detention, the governments have effectively, in my view, turned, the, turned their backs on improving, improving the situation for our kids and addressing the shameful inequalities that we see in our system today. And... Um, this was all going on, of course, at a time when uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, amassed support in Australia. Uh, the first time um, in generations, I think, since 1980, late 80s, um, when Ricky Dick um, was formed. And it just really felt like that when they made this decision that, you know, 65% of these kids are black. So just let's just forget about it. Let's just focus on, um, supporting at the at the end where they do get in trouble let's not try and make systemic change and it really just felt like black our you know our little our little black lives don't matter Mm. um and that was really hard to swallow which is why in victoria we really are pushing the victorian government to turn this disappointing obstacle into an opportunity to go it alone and become leaders in australia by committing to raising the age of raising age in victoria to at least 14 and look i know in COVID times um you know, the government's agenda um, in Victoria is full, um, that there are community suffering as a result of the pandemic and the economic impacts. Um, and it's certainly not something that I downplay, but I think that um, any successful government should be able to do numerous things um, effectively. And one thing on their agenda that could be done fairly quickly um, and fairly simply is to raise the age to at least 14. Um- where, we need some hope in this story. Where, where does the hope lie? Where have you seen some progress? Um, obviously, July and the Council of AGs wasn't a great result for the campaign itself, but um, where, where, where can we find some hope in, in, in making progress here? Are any of the governments, are any of the state governments showing any interest in um, considering making some a, a, a amendments or, or, or changes to the laws? Mm. Uh, so the ACT government, um, had uh, put a motion um, through their state processes uh, to raise the age, um, and that's still ongoing. So that, that was quite good. Um, and they have been progressive, um, JCT in other ways when it comes to youth justice, but we're not seeing that in the other states or territories. Um, we're not seeing it in the Northern Territory. We're not seeing it in WA. We're not seeing South Wales, and we're certainly not seeing it here in Victoria. Um, what we are seeing, um, which I think is, is a good product, byproduct of COVID-19, there can be any, um, is that 
there has been a focus um, on trying as much as possible to keep children out of youth prisons um, and keep them supported in community while the pandemic um, is going. So that response alone tells me that um, the government themselves see that youth prison is an appropriate place for kids to be. So again, let's just get this over and done with and raise the age um, and make sure that we're meeting international standards at the very least. Um, you know, I think the bright spots of light um, are the kids themselves, uh, the ones who can make it through the system um, and can deal with their trauma um, and can move on to a successful and happy life. Those, those are the bright spots. Um, that's where the heart is. Um, that's the thing that makes you get up the next day and keep going because you see kids who have made it through and you just want more of them to get to that point. Um, I want more kids completing school. I want more kids going into education or training or trades, um, whatever it is that their heart desires, um, whether it's becoming a fireman um, or whether it's becoming a lawyer. Um, and the kids that make it, those are the ones that make us get up at the end of the day. Um, I also I get a sense that it's not just about raising the age as well. You sort of spoke earlier about trying to get the two particular departments in state governments to talk to each other as well. What work's been done in that respect? Mm. Uh, certainly, I think uh, they've recognised themselves and need to communicate. We've seen that in COVID-19, um, that there has been a greater sense of communication, organisation and collaboration, which is fantastic. Um, and we hope that continues past COVID-19. Um, what we're also seeing in Victoria is um, a lot of work from NGOs, um, community legal centres and interested bodies in trying to help um, strengthen uh, the response to children um, in child protection and uh, youth justice and a lot of care and dedication into pushing um, governments um, and departments to try new things. Um, you know, uh, in Victoria, we've got the Victorian National Child Care Agency um, who, are help, who are now helping manage, um, the, manage the case files of a number of Aboriginal children in care, which is fantastic um, because that's an Aboriginal organisation. So that understands the multifaceted responses that's needed for these families. Um, there are also, uh, there's also talk of a youth transition pilot um, to support children who are coming out of youth prison so that they will actually stay out. Um, they ha can have things to meet their trauma, can connect back to culture and family, have stable housing and have a better future. That's a fantastic initiative. So um, we're certainly seeing collaboration and innovation. Um, and I hope rather than it just being speared on by the COVID-19 pandemic, that it's something that um, becomes an institutional change. Um, back in, I did notice back in July, uh, a lot of Australian celebrities and um, many uh, Indigenous folks posted photos of themselves uh, at the age of 10 uh, to raise awareness for the Raise the Age campaign. Um, what kind of impact did, did that uh, social media campaign have in um, giving the, the, the issue a bit of, uh, of airtime and helping your cause? Hmm. Approaches such as the one to which you're referring are impactful because they humanise the children who get caught up in hurt by the legal system and makes people reflect on how vulnerable they were at 10 years old, the level of accountability that could truly be attributed to them. And when they themselves were that age, how terrified they would have been if they had to deal with police and courts and a youth prison. It makes people wonder how their lives might have turned out if they made a mistake when they were 10 
and the systems in place that force them into courts and prisons instead of giving them a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. You know, a chance to be a kid, a chance to learn from your mistakes, a chance to be supported by your family, by your community, and by appropriate services to reach your potential. Um, I think when you reflect on the response that that had um, on social media, it just really hit home with people that the laws are robbing kids of their futures and really made their, their thinking shift gears because they looked at it with empathy instead of judgment. Um, and it is really difficult to demonize these children when you're forced to think about yourself, your friends, your children at that age, doing all the things that children should be doing, learning, playing, exploring. Um, and of course, having celebrities contribute to that, um, raise that profile of the campaign and reach people who perhaps haven't been exposed to that issue or haven't really thought about it, uh, which was fantastic and really gave us a chance to sort of build on that awareness uh, by making sure that they were being directed to further resources and education materials. So they really understood the issue, um, you know, uh, I myself am um, definitely not a celebrity, nor would I ever want to be, because uh, that seems really, really, really tough. Um, but I did the same thing um, when I was hosting Indigenous X uh, Twitter's account. And I must say that the responses that come back in the commentary um, was just really heartwarming because it turned an impersonal debate to a personal one. And the responses were more empathetic, they were more understanding, they were more searching for answers. Um, and it just really made them made it more difficult for them to turn away. I mean, is there a part of the strategy, you sort of mentioned there before about an education piece. I mean, does the wider white Australian community or non-Indigenous Australian community need some education on this? Is it more just awareness and even knowing about the damn issue? Or are you actually getting pushback from folks saying, no, these laws are right, these are good. And therefore, you mm. need, there's a persuasion piece that needs to be involved in this. Hmm. Uh, certainly, I think that um, in the early stages of this campaign, it was clear that the that the, the majority of strength society actually didn't understand or weren't aware of these laws and what they meant um, and perhaps thought that you only uh, were in this situation if you were an older child, so say between the ages of 16 and up. Um, and what, when you were, when we're getting a lot of attention through different media outlets around this issue, certainly that side to educate people and be like, oh, I didn't know this and why a 10 year old being locked up in prison, this doesn't make sense. Um, and then they sought out that information, which I think was really good. Um, and when uh, the campaign did, uh, the Australian Institute and Change the Record uh, conducted some research um, on the issue, they showed that uh, Australians, the vast majority agree that children as young as 10 um, do not belong in prison in Australia's age of responsibility should be increased from 10 to the global, medi global medium of 14 years. Um, and the research showed that uh, almost every three in four Australians, that's about 73%, think the age of legal responsibility is greater than 10 years. Um, and 51% thought that the age is 14 or greater. So that just shows you that there's, there wasn't that understanding. And that once they did understood, um, they're like, no, this needs to be changed. It should be at least 14. Um, I noticed uh, Amnesty International have done some work on this issue as well. It popped up in my, um, I think it was in my uh, Instagram feed uh, around the campaign to eliminate the these caged uh, divvy vans that the Northern Territory mm. Police use. I've um, campaigned up in the Northern Territory in election campaigns and the first time I saw one, I was stunned. I was like, what on earth is that vehicle? And then I realised that there was actually human beings in the back of it and there could have been just young boys. 
um, yeah. particularly in the heat that, you know, it's 32 degrees in Darwin every freaking day, whether it be muggy or, you know, glorious sunshine, it's still bloody hot. Um, how's that campaign going? Like, I know that they just recently had an election in the Northern Territory. Was there any movement or any commitment from the major parties to uh, to change these um, these vehicles that they're using at the moment? Mm. Uh, certainly campaigns like the one that Amnesty International um, were running um, take time. Um, and with, with Aboriginal Australian people making up such a small percentage of Australian population, I think it's always a difficult issue when we're saying that this is a particular issue for our community that needs to be addressed um, to get um, endorsement and uh, commitment of actions from respected government parties. Um, and that's certainly what we're seeing. Uh, whilst there might not have been great swaths of prog progress up to now, um, there is still that potential because um, if you look at Change the Record um, Coalition, which is one of the ones that Anthony International is involved, um, it's Australia's only national Aboriginal-led coalition of Aboriginal pig bodies and non-Aboriginalities that were to end the incarceration of Aboriginal other people. And that has had, you know, some great policy wins um, and some great influence, both in national action, so we're talking about action by the federal government, but also in state action um, on discrete areas of law that are impacting upon Aboriginal people. So um, whilst it's not there yet, we might just get there. Where is the federal government in all of this? I, I, I get a sense that your campaign is directed, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm thinking that mm -hmm. you need to get the state governments to state and territory governments to change the laws in relation to the age of legal responsibility. Uh, what what role does the federal government, or what ca what role, of, what leadership can the federal government play in actually addressing this issue? Mm. So our, I mean, my view is that the federal government. Um, is allegedly the, you know, the, the leader of the Australian nation. Um, and as such, um, on an issue where so many Australians agree that the legal aid should be raised, they should be taking a firm hand um, in guiding states and territories to enact that change for the betterment um, of our society, but also helping and assisting state and territory governments um, with funding and resources um, to put into activities such as justice reinvestment and restorative justice approaches so that we give, we give children a chance only to have their brains be fully developed um, so they can appreciate the harm that results from their behaviour, um, but also so that they can address the underlying cause of their offending and move on to a better life. Um, the, the Federal Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Ken White, um, have you have you guys had had a chance to have a chat to him? Uh, what what's have you got a sense about what his thoughts are on this? And obviously, you'd assume that um, given that he's um, Aboriginal as well, that he would have, uh, you know, he, there would be some sympathy for what you're um, seeking here. Have you had a chance to get in front of him or certainly one of his staff? Mm, I'm I'm sure Minister Wyatt um, has some measure of empathy um, for these children. Um, and understanding but he is just a cog in the federal machine um, and I think it's hard for him um, just to go out there and say this is what should be done um, this is what we will do um, without the support of his political party um, have we talked to him about these issues yes um, don't you worry um, any any chance that we can get in front of the cabinet minister um, either federal or state 
Um, this is an issue that we constantly push because it is that critical um, to our progress as a society. Uh, last question. How can folks get involved in supporting the campaign? Well, that's an easy one. Um, <laughs> as long I mean, now, um, particularly in Victoria, um, in Metropolitan Melbourne, um, we all have a lot of time on our hands. Um, so the best part um, on the internet is that you can uh, put a whole lot of information on one place. So all I need to do um, is go to www.raisetheage.org.au. Um, it has some helpful information um, about um, the stats, about the reasons, um, talking about why children should be treated um, around the issue of consequences, which I know is uh, one that um, the rights pull out quite often. So there's some answers about that. Um, there's also some stories, um, just to, like we talk about, humanising um, the situation. There's a list of organisations that are involved and it allows you there to join the National Alliance. So you just have to provide your name, email um, and all of that. There's also some resources. Um, so you've got the In My Blood It Runs link, the Change the Record, Deadly Connections, the Natsals, um, all of that's there. You know, write to your local member of parliament, write to the federal government, write to your state government, um, show, express your support on your social media um, and just maintain the pressure. Fantastic. And that, that website, one more time. That website is www.raisetheage.org.au. Excellent. And we'll put the links in the bio for this week's episode as well. So you can just click on that on your, um, your hot little uh, iPhone or Android. Uh, Narita Waite, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to come on the show to talk to us about this incredibly important issue, an issue I think a lot of Australians don't know about, but if once they've heard this uh, podcast, and millions of people listen to this podcast, so um, you'll find a complete uptick in engagement once this has been published, um, to uh, come and talk to us about this issue. We really appreciate uh, your time, and best of luck with the campaign going forward. Uh, no, thank you for allowing us to come on, and if the listeners are... Um, interested in Aboriginal justice issues, um, I urge them to go to our website at www.bowels.org.au um, to find out information about other justice issues that are impacting um, our communities. Fantastic. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye.